You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. Stocks are holding on to their gains. This update brought to you by ETF Exchange 16, BNY Mellon's annual ETF Symposium, September 19th to the 21st in Dana Point, California. This essential conference is complimentary for RIAs, but space is limited. Register now at bnymelon.com slash ETF. S&P 500 index jumping the most in four weeks after the latest polls show the U.K. campaign to remain in the European Union is gaining ground ahead of Thursday's referendum. S&P 500 index up 20 now to 2,091, a gain there of 1%. Dow Industrials up 194, a gain of 1.1%. NASDAQ up 60, a gain of 1.3%. The 10-year down 18.30 seconds at yield 1.66%. Gold down $4 the ounce to 12.90 a drop of three-tenths of one percent, and crude oil higher by 2.7 percent, up $1.30 a barrel, 49.28 right now on West Texas Intermediate Crude. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. You're listening to Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. In a 2015 study by the marketing research firm Mintel found that nearly 70% of Americans seek out others' opinions online before making a purchase. Well, some of those online reviews can lead to some unintended consequences. One Dallas couple who wrote a review about a pet company was sued for over a million dollars for the review. It was a negative review, and the suit alleges that it violated the non-disparagement clause in the contract. To find out more, I want to bring in Patrick Gregory. He is legal editor for Bloomberg BNA. Bloomberg BNA is a wholly owned subsidiary of Bloomberg. It's a leading source of legal, regulatory, and business information for professionals. And Bloomberg BNA's authoritative coverage spans a range of legal practice areas, including tax and accounting, labor and employment. I want to bring in Patrick Gregory. Patrick, thanks very much for being with us. Explain exactly what is going on here when people write a review On a website such as Yelp, what kind of liability are they subject to? This is generally about defamation lawsuits. So, for example, you write a review on Yelp. You say, the flower company that I hired for my wedding brought flowers that were wilted. And then you might get a demand letter saying, we think that you are defaming us. We don't think the flowers were wilted. You lied about us. 
And, of course, it's not the lawsuits that are the problem so much as the threat of the lawsuits, because how many people are going to go to court over a Yelp review that they might have spent 10 minutes writing, even if they're telling the truth or just giving a matter of opinion? People know lawsuits are expensive to defend. Hmm. Of course, we know the U.K., for example, makes it much tougher. There's a much tougher uh, hurdle, seems to me, to prove defamation or something like that. If I'm a business, though, I'm a small business, there are people who have claimed that these uh, reviews were put in by people who were exaggerating or had a bone to pick. They were not valid. Uh, in fact, you even mentioned in your story, give us uh, the example that could not really, it wasn't held up by the Virginia courts of a company that uh, asked to have the negative reviews unveiled, who the people really were, because it seemed that they couldn't, their views came in negative, but these weren't real people maybe. So there was something going on that I can understand why a small business might want to protect against. Absolutely. Nobody wants their livelihood destroyed by a couple of reviews that may be false. What happened in Virginia, there were actually two courts that said Yelp needed to unmask the reviewers of this carpet company. The carpet company said that these reviews that were posted online don't match match up with the service dates that we have in our online uh, records. And so two of the courts said, Yelp, you're going to have to unmask those anonymous reviewers. Uh, and that's a big component of this whole issue is your right to anonymous speech. That's something that goes way back to the founding of the country. Um, but some disagreed with those courts saying this was really just a bare bones claim and it shouldn't have been enough to ma- unmask the reviewers. And that decision did get vacated, but it was on procedural grounds. So it wasn't something that would give Yelp reviewers much comfort in Virginia in the future. Can you tell us a little bit about the Consumer Review Freedom Act and whether that is something that will, in a sense, derail uh, these lawsuits? There's So what we're talking about here, strategic lawsuits against participation, um, so participating in online speech. Uh, we have uh, federal legislation um, called the Speak Free Act. I'm not sure about the specific legislation you mentioned, but there is a legislation called the Speak Free Act that the House is holding a hearing on on Wednesday, uh, sponsored by Blake Farenthold. He's a Republican, but he's actually joined by 20 Democrats and 12 Republicans. And this is an anti slap statute. The way that anti-slap statutes work, it lets you dismiss litigation early. So, for example, under California's state anti-slap law, you file an anti-slap motion, and then the plaintiff must show a likelihood of success or the suit is dismissed. And if it's dismissed, the defendant can even get attorney's fees, which changes the whole economics of the litigation. It deters plaintiffs. And then you may even have attorneys taking on slap defense lawsuits at no cost to the defendant. So uh, big hearing coming up, Patrick, directly addressing this issue, a House subcommittee holding a hearing June mm-hmm. 22nd, yep. that's Wednesday, on a bipartisan federal anti-slap mm-hmm. bill, the Speak Free Act. Yeah, and that's that's the one I mentioned. With uh, uh, You have 20 Democrats and 13 Republicans supporting this, so it looks like uh, if this is, if you believe in anti-slap legislation, then for you this is an encouraging development, certainly. About uh, 28 states, incidentally, have anti-slap statutes currently, California, Texas, Florida, and New York, but there's plenty that don't, such as Virginia, Connecticut, New Jersey. Will companies such as Yelp, those that host these online reviews, will they indeed have to or want to let their potential reviewers know whether a business has already initiated a lawsuit? 
Absolutely. And for example, Glassdoor, um, at, at a panel discussion I went to, Glassdoor's vice president was talking about how she gets 250 demand letters a year from employers, and they've said that they're willing to go as far as they can to protect their users' identities and filing as many appeals as possible. Yelp is in, very much in favor of this type of legislation, and their director of litigation is going to be one of the witnesses at this hearing on Wednesday. So how big of an issue is this for uh, online sites like that? Not just Yelp, but there's so many things. There's Angie's List. seems to me you could extend this, the scope of this kind of complaint uh, much further if the courts allow – they don't if they don't come to something that, that sets the limits, sets the parameters. Absolutely. There are so many businesses online that are affected. Um, the one that I mentioned, Glassdoor, is a website where employees can review their employers or um, past employers. You know, you have TripAdvisor. You have so many um, websites designed um, to get information, you know, from reviewers. Uh, you know, even Amazon.com. You know, plenty of people leave reviews on there and rely on those reviews to buy products. People also rely on reviews to determine the applications that they want to download for their mm -hmm. smartphone or for their computer. Would this also have any bearing on, let's say, the Android uh, Google Play service as well as the Apple uh, iTunes uh, and Apple uh, App Store? Absolutely, because you know any type of a defamation lawsuit, they simply just need to allege that you said something that was false and that it, it's caused the business harm. So you can certainly think of a situation where you say something about an app that may or may not be true, and then you get a demand letter threatening to take you to court. All right, Patrick Gregory, thank you so very much for joining us. We'll be uh, will you be covering uh, the hearing on June twenty second? I'm hoping to, yes. Well, we'll be looking forward to your report. It's one of those things that's brewing out there that we don't always think about, but that's why we always like to turn to Bloomberg BNA and a legal editor like Patrick Gregory to let us know what is going on in Washington, D.C., Pim, because certainly with uh, legislation, there's so many uh, specifics these days. And, uh, of course, I'm looking forward, uh, speaking of online, Facebook. We're going to be looking at uh, their annual conference in the show today. Yeah, their annual shareholder meeting uh, at which uh, I believe the issue whether there's a new class of stock that uh, Mark Zuckerberg uh, wants to create uh, will, in fact, uh, be voted on uh, by the shareholders and uh, also keeping uh, Peter Thiel on uh, Facebook's uh, board of directors. And, of course, now you explain to our listeners, because this new class of stocks, which was actually something that was announced a few weeks ago, will allow Mark Zuckerberg to retain power, retain control of the company. Yes. Uh, the idea is that uh, there will be a stock uh, split, and that would affect uh, investors uh, mainly uh, because – not in terms of their, their value, but um, it would just uh, affect their ability to control the actions, the corporate actions uh, of the firm because Mark Zuckerberg would still retain a majority uh, – of the voting shares. So you think that no matter what it does to the current value of the, the existing shares for investors, the fact that Mark Zuckerberg, who most would say has done obviously a terrific job as founder, CEO, the guy who runs Facebook, they'd like to see him retain control and stay. Well, that certainly is what many investors uh, would agree to. I mean, the shares of Facebook are up about 9% uh, so far this year. And uh, taking a look at the uh, ownership of uh, Facebook, well, take a look um, that uh, Mr. Zuckerberg, uh, through a variety of uh, entities, 
um, still owns a, a controlling interest. You're listening to Taking Stock. I'm Pim Fox, my co-host Kathleen Hayes. Coming up, a look at Facebook, and also we'll take a check on global economics and a preview of Janet Yellen's testimony before Congress. This is Bloomberg Radio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.